Take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And you'll notice we're getting closer. We're inching toward the end of the book. And I know sometimes you feel like it's an inch by inch that we take on Sunday nights. But uh, I want to just look at this passage tonight, especially, you know, in the context of what God has given us here. The moments that he's given us here on this earth to be able to make it count for him. You've heard me mention that. This morning I specifically talked about how we make it count. And this passage to me really hits at the heart of that. Really hits at the heart of how God has given us just this opportunity, just this moment to make our lives count for the kingdom. And I want to just dig into this. I want you to see as we look at James chapter 4, verse 13, we've already talked some about the lordship of Christ. We're going to come back to that. George talked last week about not speaking evil of your brother, not judging your brother, not condemning your brother or sister in Christ. And then verse 13, this practical prophet, this practical disciple, James, says, come now. You who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. I think basically what this message, what this passage is saying to us is that God has called us to do what is right as long as we can. From the time we have, for the moments we have, that we ought to seek what is right and what is holy before him in all of our lives. Let's look in verse 13 again. Notice here it says, come now. Some of you are like walking around and you're talking about today we're going to do this, tomorrow we're going to do that. We're going to make all these different plans and all these different things. We're going to spend some time here. We're going to make a profit. We're going to come back. Notice all of these different plans that the people have. Now, let me say this first of all. God is not against planning. Could you agree with me on that? Most of you? I've heard the cliche, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail, right? So there's nothing wrong with planning. I don't believe there's anything wrong with planning. We kind of make sure before we go, to, hey, before a Disney World trip, you better plan, right? 180 days out, you better start getting your restaurants lined up and your dining experience. And look, I will, by the way, I do that on the side. Don't charge anything, so don't get upset, you know, Temple. But I could help you on the side. Leslie could help you. But, you know, there's certain plans you got to have. It's okay to plan. Some people, it's, it's hard for them to think that through, even in the church life. You know, it's okay to plan. You better plan. I have learned more and more as I've gotten older in the ministry. And I'll tell you, even here at Temple, I think, man, you better plan or you will never get a date to get something done. You know what I'm talking about? Like the calendar fills up quickly. You better be planning. I plan, as you heard me say this morning, I plan my messages. I plan my sermons. I try to work through those things. Now, I know some of you think, well, maybe, maybe you just need to rely on the Spirit. The Spirit does guide us in planning, does He not? 
I remember going when I was in Pine, Gro Pine Grove and Picayune. I remember going to eat Sunday lunch. You remember when we used to do those kinds of things? <laughs> trick question, trick question. I would, I would go often to uh, this family's house, and we would gather around the table, and we would eat, and it, it was just out in the country. It was a wonderful opportunity. It was a wonderful experience. I always said when I sat down at Lorraine Child's table, it was like sitting at heaven's table. You know what I'm talking about? So <laughs> I was there, and I was enjoying. And one day, her son-in-law, who was great friends with me, I, I mean, we hunted together, a wonderful guy. He looked at me, and he said, all right, I got a question for you. And I said, well, hit, it, hit me with it. As long as I got a piece of deer steak in my mouth, I can take any kind of question that's coming at you. Go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me. He said, when are you going to start preaching what God wants you to preach and stop preaching what you want to preach? And I said, what? And, of course, his wife went, done. I said, come at me again with that. Well, you've been preaching the 23rd Psalm for about like eight weeks now. <laughs> it's so easy for you just to pick a passage and say, that's what you're going to do. He said, why are you going to just get up and say, this is what God wants me to say? And I said, well, you know, I could do that. Certainly I could do that. But um, you realize, like, I've got a bigger concept of God than you do. <laughs> and Don said, what? What are you talking about? I said, see, you believe God can only work on Sunday morning. I believe he could work any day of the week. And to be honest with you, I think he could work months before, months before, as I study and seek him. Even, even in a greater way, even in a, in a clear way, powerful way, he can work in our lives. And he didn't agree with it. He kind of, you know, dismissed me in some way. But I believe that. I believe that God works in our planning. So this is not a condemnation of planning. Rather, as you look through the text, it is planning with no type of concern for the Lord, for what he's doing, for his sovereignty, for his control over things. Basically, what they're doing is they're saying, we're going to do it on our own, whatever we want to do. That's what they're saying. They're, this, these are the plans that we have. When I was studying this week, I noticed Chuck Swindoll gave like a he gave an outline of like verse 13. And it really all centered on how we as individuals try to take control, how we try to assume authority over our own lives. What's funny is like in verses 11 and 12 that George preached last night, basically what we are last Sunday night, basically what you see is how people try to assume authority over other people's lives. In verse 13, it's kind of saying we are assuming authority over our own life. And this is the way Swindoll expressed it. He said, notice it says we set our own schedule today or tomorrow. How we set our own path, we will go to such and such a city. How we place our own limits, we will spend a year there. How we will arrange our own activities, we will buy and sell. And how we predict our own outcome. We will make a profit. Do you see how as he lined that up for you so easily? It's about how it's all about us. And how we have the authority over our own lives. That we are making the decisions devoid of his leadership. 
devoid of his counsel, devoid of his wisdom. That's what we're doing. Now, about two or three Sunday nights ago, I talked to you about this doctrine of the Lordship of Christ. And I really believe it is a doctrine that somehow we are neglecting in our churches or a doctrine that we have dismissed from our churches. But I want you to hear this loudly and clearly again. Jesus intends to be the Lord of our lives. Remember the confession of faith, the earliest confession, Jesus is Lord. That is his rightful authority over us. He is the boss. He is the king. He is the emperor. And again, he's not interested in a cafeteria type of Christianity. He's not interested in us just submitting certain parts of our lives to him. He wants to be the Lord over all of our lives. And here, what basically these people are saying, and James is echoing what their sentiments, is that we'll go and do this and we'll do that and we'll do this and this is how we're going to stay and this is the money we're going to make and these are the opportunities that we're going to have. Never submitting to the Lordship of Christ. They are assuming authority over their own lives. And how often do we do that? Right? I mentioned this morning... <coughs> about being able to take our baggage and put it at the altar and leave it there and not come back around and pick it back up. That is an image that has stuck with me through the years. Because years ago I had a pastor who, um, well, visually represented this, of like taking a book or so, putting it at the altar and saying, God, we're going to leave it there. Just like we leave the different things in our lives, we submit our areas of our life, we put it there. But then what do we do? While everybody is fellowshipping at the end of the service, we come right back around and we pick it up. And that's what we do often. See, tonight, you're going to hear this great stirring message from this young looking guy wearing a tech shirt. And you're going to be so moved, you're going to say, I'm giving it all to Jesus. I'm submitting to his lordship. I'm putting every area right there. My financial, my relational, everything I got, I'm putting it right there. But see, what happens is, while I'm at the back speaking to people, it's kind of like you come back and say, <clears throat> but I'm going to pick it up and take it with me at home. You know, that was good. But I don't know if I can submit this area of lordship because we want to be in control. We want to have authority. Hey, I don't try to embarrass my family too much. This probably will. Jason, you're right there with me, buddy. You and I have been praying about this for quite a while. We are learning what true faith is and trust because our daughters are learning to drive. My daughter has a permit. It's awesome. She drove over here tonight. I'm just telling you, when you don't have your hands on the wheels, on the wheel, when you're not able to do it and you're just having to trust, it takes everything you have. But I will tell you that you pray more and you are drawn near to the Lord more. Right? But I let her drive. Hey, I know it's hard to turn the wheel over to God sometimes. 
But if you'll let him drive, I promise you, he'll never take the wrong turn. He'll never get you in a mess. Oh, you might go through some difficult waters or you might go through a difficult patch of the road. But if he's driving, it makes all the difference. Because you can trust him. Always trust him. So here, basically what he's saying is, is trust him. Trust him. Why are you trying to assume the authority for your life anyway? Because your life only lasts for a little while. This temporal life. The eternal life's a whole lot longer, a whole lot better quality. You've trusted him for that. Listen, listen. Isn't this, isn't this the ironic piece of being a Christian? We say that we trust him for our eternal life. And yet it's so hard to trust him with these temporal things in life. You and I have said, at least if we're believers, that we have given our hearts and lives to him and we believe Jesus is going to take care of us and our soul's fine and he's forgiven us. And, and yet then we can't seem to trust him with our finances or our relationships. Folks, if he's got, if he's got the power to take care of the eternal things, he's got the power to take care of the temporal things. So we trust him. Because this is it. Look at what he says in verse 14. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life is even a vapor which appears for a little time and then vanishes away. So here you are. You're making all these plans on your own. Devoid of God's instruction. And really, in the grand scheme of things, do you recognize that you don't know the future? You don't know what will happen tomorrow. Your life itself is just but a vapor, which appears for just a little while and then it's gone. So you don't know the future. You're making the plans, but you don't know the future. I am grateful sometimes I don't know the future. I've really thought through that one a few times. I've, and I've said, God, I wish you'd show me this and that. And then I've come back and said, God, I'm kind of thankful I didn't know that was coming. Because I'm not sure I could have handled that one. Not, at, not beforehand, but... Through it, you were there with me. God, I don't, I don't know if I could handle the future. But God, I know you know the future. Right? He knows it. So if I'm going to trust him, I want to trust him, the one who knows the future, to work out the things that he wants to work out in my life. You know, when I was in seminary, now that's been some years ago, but there was this crazy doctrine that was being taught and preached in other Seminaries, not in our Baptist seminaries, but in a lot of the other seminaries, even mainline denominations. It was something called open theism. Open theism. And I remember hearing people talk about it, and we had certain classes and different things going on. You know what it really meant? Basically, these professors and these other denominations were saying, you know, God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. But he only knows that which can be known. The future can be not, cannot be known. And thus, God does not know the future. Now, at New Orleans Seminary, we use some very strong theological terms for that kind of stuff. We called it baloney, right? <laughs> My God knows the future. He always has. He always will. It's not based on whether, hey, it's not based on whether 
not you and I will confess that he knows it. He knows it. It's kind of like I told you about the lordship. His lordship is not based upon whether you confess it or not. Jesus is Lord. <laughs> and one of these days, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. That's the reality. It's whether we will come and recognize his lordship and recognize he's the one who knows the future anyway. I don't. That's what he says. So if I want to be in his plan and his will, I want to seek his knowledge about the future. I want to follow him. It may be a day-by-day -day experience. He may not show me the whole picture at this point, but I want to submit to that because life is but a vapor which appears for a little while, just a little while, and it's gone. You've had these experiences where you walk out on a cool morning and you see your breath. I'm praying I have that in Calgary next week, by the way, okay? I'll think about you. I'm going to be here Sunday morning, but after that, it's going to be a cool morning, I think. I've been looking at the temperatures. Be able to see your breath just, just for a moment. But think of how quickly, how quickly that disappears. Our lives are here just for a moment. Just for a moment. Somebody came to me the other day, one of my deacons, and said, Hey, man, you know the Lord's probably got a good little while left for you. I think I've been talking about all this make it count and this different thing, and they were concerned about me. And I said, I got you. I know that. I'm not, I'm not you know, wishing my life here away and all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that. But I guess, and I don't know, maybe it was turning 40. Maybe it was the age and the mortality or whatever else. But I'm recognizing every day how quickly things go by. My dad always told me, he said, son, as you get older, it's going to go by faster and faster and faster. It's going to be amazing. Starting to see it. Starting to understand it. So I just got a little time. And you got a little time. The Lord may give me 50 more years, but in the grand scheme of eternity, that's not long. And then again, the Lord may not give me but another day. Because he has not promised us another day necessarily. It may be tomorrow. It may be 50 years from now. So whatever time I have, I need to give it to the Lord and make it count and submit to his lordship. So important. That's what he's saying. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. He says, instead of saying, yeah, this is what we're going to do, and it's all about us, and we're taking the authority over our lives. Instead of saying those things, we should say, if the Lord wills and the creek doesn't rise, right? Again, too often we use this as a cliche. Well, if the Lord wills with it. It's more than a cliche. It's a posture of submission. A cliche is just something you say flippantly. A posture of submission is something that you assume and say, Hey, Lord, I am bowing to your will. I submit to your will. Remember Jesus' first words out of his mouth? His first words out of his mouth as recorded in the scripture. I know when he was a baby, he oohed and odd, and I know all those things. But the first words out of Jesus' mouth recorded for us in the scripture, I must be about my father's business. 
And it set his whole life of ministry because it was all about the will of the Father. Even to the Thursday night before his death, what did he pray? Not my will, but thy will be done. It's not a cliche. It is a posture and attitude of God, whatever you ask. God, it is your will. What you want from me in the future, I am submitting to you. And I am going to follow you. But you boast in your arrogance, he says. And that boasting is evil. When it's all about you, when it's all about what you're going to do, that's not good. There has to be submission to his will. And then verse 17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. You talk about James driving a point home. James is kind of like, all right, I just told you what was right. I've just put it out there for you. You've received the instruction. And for you to know what is right and not do it, then you are falling short of the glory of God. <laughs> you can't get more practical. You can't get simpler than what he just said. Is that when we know to do what is right and we don't do it, it is wrong. It goes back to what James has taught over and over. It's more, more than being just a hearer of the word. You got to be a doer of the word. You hear it, you receive it. But the reason you hear it and receive it and the reason you study it is so that you will do it. Tonight, God just calls us to do it. Submit. Submit to his lordship. And yes, it is a constant submission. We submit, but we continue to submit. We continue to say, God, I'm not going back and picking that up. I'm leaving that area with you. God, I want to take the wheel so badly. But God, I'm letting you drive this. God, I want to make my plans for today and tomorrow. I want to get all of my plans achieved and accomplished for what I can do. But God, I want your plan for my life mostly. And I want to submit to your will and to your purpose. And as we as believers submit to his lordship, we will see more fulfillment. I believe we will see more ministry effectiveness. I believe we'll even see more people come to know Christ as we submit to his lordship. So while we can, in the moments he's given us, let's do what he's called us to do. Let's make it count for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these moments to draw away and to draw near. To draw away from the busyness of the things outside these doors, our activities, the noise. Thank you for allowing us to draw away from that. Thank you for allowing us to draw just near to you through your word. And God, tonight here in this place, there may be some believers 
who need to submit certain areas of their lives to you. Whether they do it in that pew, whether they come to an altar in a visible act, whether they talk to me or they grab somebody, one of their friends to come with them. God, give them the courage. And God, when this is over with, when the invitation is finished, when we walk out these doors and get into our vehicles to head home, may we still be submitted to you in everything. God, take our futures, use them for your glory. And God, may we make our lives count. For what little time we have here on this earth, may we make it count. For your son and for his glory. We pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?